From the Thinking Out Loud studios, it's the Thinking Out Loud podcast with Kevin and Kyle, the podcast that exists to help you navigate the culture of today from a biblical perspective and to help you grow in your relationship with God. God has commissioned and called you to be a light in this culture. The only way you can do that is to know the truth. No matter what circumstance you're facing, no matter what season of life that you're in, if you truly want to find success in that season, you are going to have to go back to the simple question of what does God say about me in this moment? There's no shortage of information in this culture, but there is a shortage of truth. Welcome back to the Thinking Out Loud podcast. My name is Kevin Wilson. And I'm Kyle Wenzel. And we're excited to have you guys back for another week of the show. And this is going to be an interesting topic that we have today. And I think you guys are really going to like it. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But I want to say, if you are on an Apple device right now, why don't you scroll all the way down to the bottom, rate and review us. If you haven't followed or subscribed, please subscribe. Also, if you're on any other platform, a streaming platform, you know, whether it's Pandora or iHeartRadio, Amazon, wherever it is, if they have a follow button there, make sure that you follow us. And also, if they have a place where you can rate and review us, you want to do that as well. And we're excited to have a special guest with us today. He is Scott Peterson. He's the founder and director of Defending Your Doorstep Ministries. He has a master's in theology from Moody Theological Seminary. He's taught all over the place, uh, seminary students, college students. He's been on radio shows across the country. And he's an expert on Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. And just two of the religions that I feel like a lot of people encounter because of the evangelistic nature of both of those religions. And so we wanted to talk to Scott about that today, and we have him on the show. So, Scott, thanks for coming on the Think It Out Loud podcast. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, gosh, guys, thank you so much for having me. I really, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say this, if you are in the Detroit area or surrounding areas, you may recognize his voice. He sits in for one of the number one, well, actually the number one talk show, Christian talk show in Michigan. It's the Bob Duco show. And he, he sits in for him. He's a frequent guest, Bob Duco as well. Our listeners will call in and ask him questions and different things like that. And so if you recognize his voice, that's that it's that Scott Peterson. And so I haven't gotten kicked off yet. I've been working on it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think every time I go on, Frank Franciosi is kind of, kind of holding his breath, but so far so good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's great. That's great. But listeners, I I know you guys know that there are times when you are sitting on your couch and it's, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning and you're watching Netflix or you're watching the news or you're, you know, you're just relaxing. And all of a sudden you get this tap at your door, you get this knock, your ring doorbell goes off and, uh, They they don't pay me for sponsorship, by the way, uh, <laughs> but they can if they'd like. Um, but but your ring doorbell goes off and you, you go to the door and it's people that you don't know. And you're you're thinking like, what? Who is this? And a lot of times it's Jehovah's Witness and they are there and they are there to help you to understand why the Jehovah's Witness way and that religion is the religion that you should adhere to and so many people have been enc- have encountered them or you've had that little pamphlet that watchtower pamphlet at your door I have a no soliciting sign on my mailbox and it doesn't I you know what no one cares <laughs> they all come to my door. <laughs> so I was going to say, those, those no soliciting signs are all of a sudden invisible to certain individuals. Yeah. If you're selling yeah. candy bars, by all means, let's go. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but when it comes to Jehovah's Witness, they they are they have an aggressive campaign, you know, evangelistically to really help people to understand what they believe in. You may have a family member that's a Jehovah's Witness. You might have a friend, and we have. Scott, who's an expert in this on today, and our whole goal here 
today is to help you to understand what are these, what do they believe? What, what is it that, that's behind all of this? And truly, how can you respond when you meet them on the street or at your door? And so, Scott, I think my, my, my first question I, I want to just ask you is how did you even get into this of really, you know, because there's a lot of stuff you could do with apologetics. But specifically Mormons and Jehovah's Witness, how did you get into zeroing in and be, becoming an expert on those two religions? Uh, you know, that's, that's a great question. And it happened very much as you kind of described. I was, I had been born and raised a Christian. And I remember my youth group pastor telling me, really preaching about the idea that you should always be asking God to do whatever he wants to do with your life, to be active in your life. And I remember they had people that would come into our church and would talk about it. And I was terrified of doing that because every single person that ever talked about it had some story about how God like tore everything in their life down and then rebuilt it. <laughs> and it was a terrifying thing for me. And uh, so I was always afraid to do that. And I finally did. I finally caved in and did. And at the same time, I had started to read the Bible from cover to cover. I was, you know, I was in my late teens, early 20s. And then when I started actually actually about mid-20s when I started reading the Bible cover to cover and was really kind of enjoying that and embracing that. And I had, I'd read the Bible maybe two, three times through, and I was at home one Saturday morning getting ready for college football, man. I, that was my plan for the day. <laughs> and I had a hot mug of coffee in one hand. I had the sports page in the other. ESPN was on and the doorbell rang. And I, me and my one sock, cut off shorts, torn t-shirt and bedhead, yeah. walked over to the front door, opened it and was greeted by honestly two of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they were striking young couple, husband and wife introduced themselves as Bible students going door to door, talking to people about the word of God. Mm. And I, I thought in the moment I was like, well, that's wonderful <laughs> because that's technically what I should be doing. Right. I mean, because that's kind of what we're called to do. And I remember it, it, thanking them for coming. I said, gosh, it's great that you stopped by. But you know what? I'm a Christian born, born and raised. I'm not one of the lost. I'm one of the found. But I did know my neighbors. So I pointed out a couple of houses I knew were full of the lost. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so I kind of kind of thanked them and, and sent them on their way. And they said, oh, well, they said, you're a Christian. Well, so are we. And I, they said, would you mind if we came in and asked you a few questions about a survey that we're doing about what Christians believe of the up, upcoming kingdom of God? And I was, I'm always happy to have my voice heard. So I, of course, invited him in. I had half hour before kickoff of the first game. So I had a few minutes. So I walked, brought him in. We sat down. And as we sat down, I asked them what church they attended. And they said, well, we attend the kingdom hall over, mm -hmm. it was about seven miles from me. And I remember seeing it, right? I, I just, but I couldn't think of what it was. And I was like, Kingdom Hall of something, right? And somebody in my brain ran over to the Rolodex of Religions, looked it up and said, Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I actually blurted out, you're Jehovah's Witnesses. And they said, well, yes, we are. And I didn't know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I, the only thing I knew, a couple of things I knew. I knew, number one, they were a cult. But if you asked me what that meant at that time, I wouldn't have had a clue. It's just something I had heard. And number two, my wife had worked with one and had talked with this woman about her religious beliefs. And my wife's conclusion was that they were, quote unquote, pretty screwed up on the scriptures. And it was like I had an epiphany in the moment, right? I'm like, this is it. This is what God wants me to do. God, I read the Bible cover to cover probably two, three times through by that point. I, these people were messed up on the scriptures. I was certainly qualified to handle this. And God clearly wants me to witness to these two people. This is his call in my life. Not so bad, right? No big devastating story. And so I started talking to these people about their religious beliefs. And in that first half hour, they had me so twisted into a theological pretzel that I didn't know which way was up. Mm. I mean, I, I, some, I, I walked them to the, to the door. And in my stupor, I somehow managed to agree to follow-up visits, and I thanked them for coming by. And as the door closed behind them, 
I found myself kind of theologically dazed and confused and really starting to question my own faith because everything that they said, they were able to support from the scriptures mm-hmm. and they were using my scriptures to do it. Right. And hardly anything I said could I support. Now, I have a very, I call it passionate personality. My wife calls it obsessive, but for the last 20 years, every week we go over why she's wrong. And we've, <laughs> we talked, she, at, at that particular point in time, I, this is before the internet days, right? I went out and I found everything I could at libraries, at bookstores, ordering tapes online, CDs, videos, anything I could find to learn about Jehovah's Witnesses and to really understand them. And what I learned very quickly was that the issue was not so, the issue was a language issue. Mm-hmm. I, I had shared the gospel with them, but not done so effectively, right? We had several conversations that followed that, a lot of spiritual battles. And I, I, I shared the gospel, but I didn't do so effectively because while I said the words, I realized I wasn't speaking the language because the words that they use sound the same, but they mean different things. And, it, it, and God brought me really through this whole thing. And it kind of showed me how the feeling of desperation that one can feel when they're questioning their own faith and they're not sure of what they believe and they, they feel like they've been deceived and how easy it is once I, I kind of learned how easy it is for Christians to be fooled. Mm. And at that point in time, I began kind of gathering all the information I could. I saw, you know, to shorten already a very long story, I felt eventually called into seminary, not to be a pastor, but really just to understand why I believed what I believed. Interestingly enough, early in my 20s, I went to a couple of seminary classes. They didn't really know why, right? But, and I took them, you know, I, I didn't take them for credit. I just took them as an audit. And I stopped going because I thought, I don't know why I'm doing this. But all this, that experience brought it all to the forefront for me that this was really an important matter. People are lost. Christians were being challenged. And as I got connected to people all over the country, I realized that there were Christians all over the country that had friends, loved ones, or they themselves had come out of the watchtower. And they were desperate for people to communicate to them and share with them the best way to understand the Christian faith and how to understand the Bible. And more importantly, how to understand when people are twisting the Bible. And so that's kind of what led me into this. And then, I mean, one thing led to another. I started teaching Jehovah's Witnesses at my church and, and the pastor asked if I would teach uh, Mormonism as well, since they were coming to the door. And I started doing that. And that led to yet another opportunity to really unpack a religious movement, to really understand it. And back in the day, we called those classes. I was teaching those classes on Wednesday nights. We called those classes defending your doorstep because that's exactly mm-hmm. what you were doing, right? Yeah. These were the people that were coming to your doors. And it's more, you know, what we want to do as Christians is not, we don't want to just fight off the arrows, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We really want to be able to effectively communicate the true gospel of Jesus Christ right. in love to those people. I mean, we all understand we have a responsibility to be witnesses for Christ, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people, they, they see missionaries and they go, yeah, that's not me. That's not me. Well, God handles that. He's delivering people, lost people to your door two by two, right. probably for a year for most people. I can't, we don't get people, they, they don't come by our house anymore, but most people get for a year, you know, and there's your mission field. There's your opportunity. And just like if we were to send you to Japan or China, or, or Russia, or any place, you would have to learn the language. What we want to do as Christians, and one of the things that we do differently in our ministry, is we want to teach you the language of the Jehovah's Witness, and teach you the language of the Mormon, so that you can communicate them, or communicate with them effectively, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, communication's huge. I mean, we know that married couples, single friendships, whatever it is, communicating in general, even on air. I think one of the hardest things I've found is it's easy to argue your faith with another faith that doesn't use the same word, 
the same right. source of truth. But what we're finding even, I mean, we're even seeing it now with the progressive side of Christianity where right. you're just seeing a different language or a different translation or a different, I mean, you even look at context of what they're using and, and you're just like, how? So can you explain to us a little bit, because this is something I've struggled with, even with Jehovah's that I worked with, where I'm like, okay, we're, we're talking the same scripture here, but clearly this is a different, like, this is not the God that I see in the Bible. And so how have Jehovah's Witnesses crafted the word of God to fit around their religion? Do you have like certain specifics that you could kind of point us to? Because I think that's the ultimate struggle when we're, we're trying to figure out why we believe what we believe. And then someone else is using that same scripture to say why they believe what they believe. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And let's, let's, if we could, let's, let's first understand where our, our significant differences are. Yeah. Okay. And our significant yeah. differences, let's, let's, for the sake of, of time, let's stick with the essentials right now, right? And the essentials are the identity of God and salvation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll take a different path to it. And we can talk about that momentarily. But essentially, the differences are, is that they believe that God is one being and that that is Jehovah, and he must be referred to as Jehovah for him to even hear you, okay? They believe that Jesus was actually, before the incarnation, was Michael the archangel. And he was the first created being, and he became Jesus the man at the incarnation, lived a sinless life, was crucified, dead, and buried, rose again, and ascended back to heaven and became Michael the archangel again. And then they believe the Holy Spirit is best description. It's an impersonal force, and the best description is the force in the Star Wars movies. Okay, that's that's probably the best image that you can get for it. So it's it's how God does what He does. Now, of course, we believe that you know God is three in one, right? We we believe right. that God the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So we we believe in the, the triune nature of God, and I think that. The way what they do is in many ways, what they do is they start with innocuous doctrine, right? They'll start like if you start to talk to a Jehovah's Witness, they'll start with some doctrine that that doesn't really it does. It's important, but may not matter. I'll give you the one they started with on me. And the reason they do this is it's a psychological reason to begin. They view you as somewhat frozen. This is kind of a mind control kind of a, a term where you're. You believe what you believe, and there's not nothing that's going to change it kind of an attitude. So they view you as that way, okay? And so they had started talking to me, and they had said, well, you know, there is no consciousness after death. And they said, once you die, you go into a soul sleep, and you're just resurrected at the resurrection, and, but you don't go to heaven. That's, you know, that's a pagan notion. That's this. That's the Catholic Church back in whatever year. And they go through that. And you go, that doesn't make any sense. And they'll take you to like Psalm 146, verse three and four. And it says, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And in that very day, his thoughts do perish. And then they say, there it is. When you die, your thoughts perish, right? And you look at that and you go, well, gosh, I've never seen that verse, right? And then, and then they might take you to another one. You know, they might take you to, they might take you to like Ecclesiastes 9.5, where it says, for the living know not, know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward for the memory of them is forgotten. And then they'll say, see there, the dead know nothing, right? And, and you're sitting there and you're left kind of like, well, where is this coming from? Now, we go through in our ministry, we go through and talk about these in the brief response to these, just for the sake of, of the listeners, is that when you put Psalm 146, 3 through 4 in context, okay, what you see is you, if you read all of Psalm 146, what you learn is this is a comparison. That Psalm is a comparison between people who put their trust in men and people who put their trust in God, right? Sure. And, and they, it contrasts it throughout. And it says, verse 1, God is to be praised. He's worthy of our hope. He remains faithful. He's just. He heals, so on and so forth. And then it says, man's not worthy of our trust. He can't save. And that word there, when it says his thoughts, that word there is eshtona in the Hebrew. And what that really means is plans and designs and ideas. 
Okay. And in the, I'm not going to get too wonky here, but in the Septuagint, where they translated the Old Testament into Greek, they use a Greek word that represents that is its, its thoughts or reasoning. So what they're communicating there is there was a, a former, actually, Jehovah's Witness named David Reed who made this comparison. And he said, it's like people who placed their faith in JFK. Okay, JFK was going to do something different with Vietnam, with civil rights, all these other things. When they placed their faith in him and he was shot dead, a lot of his policies turned with Lyndon Johnson, right? And so that's the life lesson there. Don't place your, your, your faith in somebody because if you just place your faith in them and not God, you're going to be disappointed because they're temporary. It has nothing to do with trying to reflect the condition of the dead, as Jehovah's Witnesses would talk about. Ecclesiastes, I won't get too deep in that, but if somebody has any concerns, please contact me and I'll break it out for you. But Ecclesiastes is a running debate in the mind of Solomon. And it's talking about the worldly view versus the eternal view. Mm. And in the worldly view, when someone dies, their thoughts die with them. That's the worldly view. Okay, so it's out of context completely. And so, so that, but that's how they begin to thaw you. And then they, they try to bring things in when they're talking about, let's say, Jesus, for instance. Okay, mm. we'll sit there and we'll say, well, Jesus is God. And they'll say, no, he's not. He's actually the firstborn of God. And they'll take you to Colossians 1.15, where it says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay. And then they say, there is the firstborn. Okay. Now, if you don't understand it and you, you don't read in context and really understand it, you're going to struggle with that. But the reality is that word there in the Greek is a word called prototokos, which means it means firstborn, but not necessarily first from the womb. Doesn't mean first created. That's an entirely different word. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is protokatesis. But it means first from the womb. It doesn't necessarily mean first from the womb. So firstborn at the time of Christ and before was not always used to indicate the first person from the womb as it is today. Many times it was used to indicate this hierarchical or preeminent position. Now we see that in Genesis 41. 51 and 52, where they're talking about Manasseh and Ephraim, and Manasseh is actually the first one from the womb. Ephraim is the second born. But in Jeremiah, it says that Ephraim, Jeremiah 31, 9 says Ephraim is the firstborn in the sense of preeminence. Okay, so what that, what Colossians 1 through 15 is actually talking about is this idea that Jesus is preeminent over all creation. And when you read all of Colossians, you read it in both contexts, if you like, and see what makes sense. Because if you read it in both contexts and you try to say, is this passage talking about Jesus being the first created, or is this passage talking about Jesus being preeminent? If you read it, you can't help but notice that the entire passage is written about the preeminence of Jesus. Mm. So that's how they kind of work on you. These very, they're very different ways to try to get you to think incorrectly by misinterpreting scripture and really by pulling scriptures out of their context. Mm -hmm. I would say that probably 75% of the challenges that Jehovah's Witnesses give us as Christians, scriptural challenges that Jehovah's Witnesses give us can be correctly understood if you just read the broader context of the passage itself, Mm -hmm. at least 75%. Right. And so that's kind of what we want to do. And that's, that's kind of how they manipulate scripture. And they kind of, th- their ultimate goal is to get you just kind of rattled on small stuff, mm-hmm. right? Because, because you might be willing to accept small truths, mm-hmm. right? It, it's, it, if they come right in and start arguing against the Trinity, then they're going, then it, you're not going, you're going to put up a fight, mm-hmm. right? I mean, most Christians do. And so they're not going to try to deal with you there. They're going to try to deal with you with the small stuff, soul sleep, you know, not celebrating birthdays or holidays, you know, little things that really don't matter to you. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to bring you into the harder doctrine later on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would you say, how are you saved? So like what, because I know this, there's this whole thing about the 144,000 and all of right. that, which is really 
it's dep- it kind of it's like depressing. I, I and I, I you know when I first heard it. So how are you saved? What what is there? You know, obviously we're saved through grace by faith. You know, but how are how do they say that they are saved or go to heaven? I okay. So actually, the Watchtower has they outlined a plan of salvation in their Watchtower edition of February fifteenth, nineteen eighty three. And to break it down for you, there was really, there's really four major points. They believe you have to take in knowledge of, of Jehovah. Okay. So that makes sense, right? I mean, you have to understand who God is. You have to obey God's laws. And then what they say in their publication is you need to be associated with God's channel, his organization, God's channel and his organization to receive everlasting life in the earthly paradise. We must identify that organization and serve God as part of it. So you've got to serve God, right? You can't, it's not good enough that you just know him and you obey his laws. You actually have to be active in serving him. And part, and the fourth part of that is, so when they talk about serving him, they're talking about serving the organization. Okay, not necessarily going door to door in this point, but mm-hmm. going and serving the organization, doing exactly what the organization tells you to do. And then the final thing is loyally advocating his kingdom rule to others, and that is to tell others about God's kingdom. So it's a four-point plan for Jehovah's Witnesses and, and their salvation. And their salvation looks quite a bit different from ours. As, as I kind of mentioned, they, they believe in soul sleep, and their idea of salvation is that there's going to be a physical bodily resurrection, at which time those who are not faithful Jehovah's Witnesses will Basically, they're annihilated. There's, there's no hell in their theology, which makes it a very attractive theology for some people. But there's no hell, per se. There's just they, People just cease to exist. But the rest who Jehovah keeps in his mind, he will resurrect, and there will be an earthly paradise on earth in which they'll live. And so that's kind of their salvation. There really is no idea of going to heaven as we believe. Now, you know, I believe you, you die, you go to heaven, and then when Jesus returns, he's going to resurrect all of us, right? For there's going to be the final judgment. And I do believe that we'll be on a new earth someplace in a physical form. But they believe, so they just, where they differ is there is no dying and going to heaven for them. And that, of course, falls apart with if you look at the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus in, I believe it was Luke 16. In where Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man had everything on earth. Lazarus had nothing. They both died. And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Mm -hmm. And the rich man was someplace that was Hades. Okay. Hades or hell. And there was a cavern in between, but they could communicate. And as Jesus tells the story, rich man basically asked, you know, for Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch his tongue. That's how he was just. That would provide him any semblance of relief, as tells you it's, it's a very uncomfortable existence. And then he asks to have Lazarus go back and warn his brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And Abraham says, well, he, they're not going to listen to him. And, right. and so even if, and it was kind of foreshadowing to Jesus, right? That even if a man rises from the dead, some people aren't going to believe. Now, they'll say that's a parable. There's really no indication that that's a parable. That's, you know, Jesus never uses a proper name in any parables. If that's a parable, that's the only one he does it in. And mm-hmm. Jesus usually follows up and explains the, the whole point of the parable. And even if it is, and he doesn't do that here, and even if it is a parable, it doesn't change the reality of it because Jesus didn't teach, use something that was nonsensical or not true as illustrations right. in his parable. Right. So ultimately, it doesn't matter. But that's kind of a view of Jehovah's Witnesses' salvation and where they think they're going versus where we believe we're going. What's with the 144,000? So, and this is just, I guess, this is just an intriguing question for me in my discussions with Jehovah's Witnesses, only 144,000. And so I've, I've always thought, well, what, this is just me logically thinking, right. what if it's already full? Or if you're getting there by works, what if you're like last on the totem pole and someone outworks you? Do you just like I've a- I've asked these questions in person before because logically, not, not even talking about spiritually, there's logically it doesn't make sense 
to me. And so can you give us some light on that? Because I'm sure others are thinking the same thing. Yeah, the 144,000 obviously comes out of the book of Revelation where God mentions 144,000, right? Right. And they believe that those are sealed Jehovah's Witnesses and that those are the only ones that will spend eternity in heaven. The rest of us will be on paradise earth. And those 144,000, that number is already full. And so if you go to if you go to a Jehovah's Witness service right around Easter time on Good Friday and they have their communion or their, you know, their Last Supper, their memorial service is what they call it. They'll pass around the bread and wine, but that's only for the 144,000. And so they pass it around and nobody takes it. <laughs> so I, I, I still wow. haven't figured out why they do it other than, you know, Jesus said, do this, this do in remembrance of me. I don't know why you bother at this point because nobody there can take it. Right. And so that's where the 144,000 comes from. But what we do see in the Bible is that we see references to a great crowd being in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? That no man could number. And that's, that's where we see it. And that's, that's how we understand, you know, when, when Paul was talking, how he preferred to depart this life and to be with Jesus, yet he was wrestling to stay. And, you know, he was wrestling with the conflict because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We understand what that means, right? right? That that's where we're going. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what our future looks like. Unless God willing, you know, the Lord returns, man, I, I'm ready. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I'm looking around and I, I could not be more ready. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What about their Bible versus our Bible? Do they use a different Bible? Because, you know, I I think a lot of times, you know, you know, if they pull out a Bible and show you, well, the Bible says right here, look at what it says, you know, so so talk, I guess, a little bit about that, like how their Bible is different than ours. Great question. You know, the real problem with false theology is the Bible. I mean, when it comes right down to it. That's the sure. real problem with false theology. That's, and which is precisely why God gave it to us, right? So, yes. so we know that they're going to run into problems. And so, what they did was in the fifties they developed their own translation. Yeah. Okay, and and what we came to find out is that they tried to hide the members of the translational group, and Fred Franz was the only name that was was leaked, and they said. They claimed that he had studied biblical languages, and the truth was revealed that he had two semesters of Greek at the University of Cincinnati, and it wasn't biblical Greek, okay? It was modern-day Greek, so it wasn't Koine Greek, which was the, the language that the Bible was written in. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's, very, that's a very important distinction, because languages change over the course of, gosh, languages change over the course of 100 years. Mm-hmm. I, I remember in seminary, we were given an original text of the original King James, and it was unreadable. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was English. Mm-hmm. And our task was to try to find the verses. So you had a bunch of seminary students in this room, and at best, we got about 50% of them. Mm-hmm. It was that unreadable. So wow. he had no study in any sort of biblical training. And basically, what they did was they came to verses that caused them problems, mm-hmm. okay? And then they changed it. Probably one of the more famous ones was John eight fifty eight, where Jesus is talking to the Jews, and he says, truly, I say to you, they were talking about, Jesus was saying, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it. And the leader said, what are you talking about? It took 60 years to build this temple. You're going to destroy it right. in three days. Right. And he said, and then he goes on to talk about Abraham. And Abraham looked forward to my day, and they said, you, you're not even 50 years old, and yet you know Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was born, I am. That's what he said, me in the Greek. And when he said that, the reaction of the crowd was to pick up stones to stone him because he used the divine name. Mm-hmm. That me was exactly who the Father God referred to himself as to Moses at the burning bush. Mm-hmm. When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? He said, tell him I am sent you. I am. Okay. Jesus used the exact same name. Those Jews knew exactly what he was saying. That was the loudest statement. It would be the equivalent 
of someone looking you dead in the eye and and saying, I am God in today's modern English. Mm. Okay. But this carried an even weightier emphasis to it because it took on God's very nature, his name, his identity. Mm -hmm. And so the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. So they picked up stones to stone him. Okay. Well, talk to a Jehovah's Witness and they can't have that if they say Jesus isn't God. Mm-hmm. Because he took the very essence of God and applied it to himself. So they changed that verse to read, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham came into existence, I have been. Now, in the footnote, they made reference that this word, this ego in me, was correctly rendered in the perfect indefinite tense. Mm-hmm. But that tense doesn't exist in the Greek. Right. They just count on you not knowing that. <laughs> right. So, so they, they changed the scripture. John 1, 1. Okay. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Okay. Another clear identity of Jesus's nature. Okay. They've changed that to say in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. The word was a God. God. Yeah. And so they've gone through to key verses and changed them to fit their theology. Hmm. And when you really ask them, they can't explain it. They can say, well, it's for clarification purposes. Well, according to whose clarification? (laughs) You know, either either it says what it says, that Jesus was God, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Either it says that or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between clarification purposes and agenda purposes. And the truth is, you hit it on the head. They count on us not knowing it. And it's dangerous in our culture because we count on a lot of people doing and saying things for us now. And we, right. we count on not having to know a lot. And that's why it's so important, if you're listening, it's so important for us to know why we believe what we believe. It can't be because you heard it somewhere. It can't right. be because, well, I was taught that way. We have to learn things for ourselves. And we have to study oh, yeah. things for ourselves. And if we don't, something as cruel as this can happen. I mean, Satan literally says it, or the serpent literally says it in the beginning. Did God really say? Mm-hmm. Right. We have to know, yes, God really did say. Right. You know, and so. And what did he say? <laughs> right. and, and you know what, Kyle, that's such a great point because that's, gosh, you said so much there that, that's really important. It's really important for us to, you don't have to be, you don't have to go to seminary, okay, right. to, to learn stuff, right? You can, you know, you, you might have to go to seminary to write a book, right? So you can articulate things in a, in a, from a position of intelligence or whatever else. But you can research, you can find out the information, and you can study it for yourself. And the real, I'm going to tell you guys, and I, I hope the listeners really hear this. The real lure for the Jehovah's Witnesses is they are looking to target, their biggest impact is, I'll be very candid with you, is a lot of low-income areas, whether it's inner city or rural, because they come in with the idea that they can educate you. Right. Right. And, And a lot of those groups don't have the benefit. They may not have the funds for a secondary education. They may have to have had to drop out of high school without help the family run, run the farm or to make money or you know, work here or there just to bring money in. And so they may feel this sense of deficiency of education. And when somebody comes to them and, and says, I'm going to teach you something, I'm going to educate you, and you're going to know things that other people don't know, mm. that's really attractive. Mm. And what we have to get ourselves into is we have to get ourselves into, you know, the internet's now a great thing where you can communicate with a lot of people. And you can, you know, social media is wonderful in that area. Get into groups where you can really study and really learn theology. And doggone it, don't, don't believe everything I, anything I say until you test it, right? right? Don't, don't take my word for it. Mm-hmm. Go and find out for yourself and learn that. And I'm telling you that when you do that, you become so, the level of confidence that, that you have in your faith is so powerful that it's interesting because then you want to share it. Mm-hmm. You know, we taught, you know, God tells us to love us with mind and body and that, and it's all our mind, right? We have to devote that to him. 
And what he's talking about is becoming educated and really understanding, and it feeds his mission. He's designed us to learn things, mm-hmm. and he's designed us so that when we learn things, we want to share them. Yeah. And, and it's really important for people to take the time and invest in, in learning the scriptures. Yeah, the it, the enemy loves, and I and I know it's like this. The you know people get tired of hearing, you know, you should pray and read your Bible. You know, it it seems so simplistic, but the enemy loves people who don't read their Bibles because he knows that those are people who can be easily deceived. Like you, you can't, you don't, you know, it, it just just like when they are training agents and things to understand counterfeit money. They don't teach them or put a bunch of counterfeit money in front of them and say, hey, you need to study this. What they take is actual, the, the actual real money and help them to understand and really understand the real money through and through so that when they see a counterfeit or a fake, they can automatically detect it, right? right, that's, right. that's how that works. And so it's the same thing with scripture, right? If we're continually studying scripture we are going to, you know, we're going to see error. We're going to detect when something's not right and we won't be confused. And you really, you don't have to go to seminary to do it, right? So I think that's something that's really important as well. Another thing that I know for Christianity and and what helps us stand apart from all the other religions is the prophecy that has come down through the ages that has actually come to pass. Right. There is many prophecies that has been prophesied over and over in scripture. And all of those things have come to pass. And there are some still that have to come to pass in the future. But we have a great track record right now because all all the ones have come have come to pass. So what does you know, when when you look at Jehovah's Witness and you look at Charles Taze Russell, who, you know, Charles Taze Russell is the, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness movement. Right. You know, what do they do with all the failed prophecies that has happened down through the years? What do they do with that? Well, first, let's cover first briefly, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna outline all these prophecies for you, just to give kind of give everyone a primer of what you're talking about. Yeah. They predicted throughout the course of the year of the years, they had a, a prediction of Armageddon occurring in nineteen fourteen, mm. an overthrow of Earth's rulership in nineteen fourteen. Destruction of Earth's churches and members by the millions in 1918. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets of old returning in 1925. By the way, they bought him a mansion in San Diego so they would have some place to stay. Mm. And the leader at that time was Judge Joe Rutherford. And he decided to move in to take care of the mansion for them until they got there. So you see how that played yeah. out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1925. God's kingdom to be established. Another Armageddon prediction in 41. World War II not ending dec- decisively in 41. U.S. and Britain becoming dictatorships in 1941. Demon, the Nazi defeat would mark demon activity forever in 1941. Predicted Britain would be completely destroyed not to recover in 1941. Then they tried Daniel and company returning again in 1942. And then Armageddon in 1975. So those are the predictions that the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society has made over the course of their lifetime. Now, you can find, you kind of find things here and there that you could say, well, that sounds like a prediction to me. And, you know, that should be included. The ones I read to you are just close-ended. There mm-hmm. can be no argument. Mm-hmm. Like the other ones, yeah, that may be coming to pass. Basically, they realize that there's a violation there of God's identification of a false prophet in Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 23, where he basically says, if you fail one time, that's it. Okay. Wow. That's not, you don't get a second chance. Mm. All right. You failed and be in, and the punishment for being a false prophet was to be stoned to death. Mm-hmm. So you, you had to bat a thousand. So they realize that they've got a real problem there. So what they've done is they've tried to explain this. Let me read what they wrote in December 1981 in the Watchtower. It says, however, it may seem to have some as though that path of the Watchtower has not always gone straight forward. At times, explanations given by Jehovah's Visible Organization have shown adjustments seemingly to previous points of view. Okay. 
Well, you don't get to make an adjustment once the time has passed. That's number one. But this has not actually been the case. This might be compared to what is known in navigational circles as tacking. By maneuvering the sails, the sailors can cause a ship to go from right to left, back and forth, but all the time making progress toward their destination in spite of contrary winds. So there is this, I happen to have done this once when I was a kid at camp learning how to sail, right? You're trying to sail into the wind, but you can't. And so what you have to go, you have to go left and right, right? You have to use the wind's momentum and kind of go left and right. And you have to keep, and eventually you'll get to where you want to go. That's what they're talking about. That's tacking. Now, number one, the analogy doesn't really work. Okay. It just says that's what it is, right? But they're not talking about just gradual changes. They're talking about false prophecies. They're talking about beliefs in the past that, that they don't believe any longer, right? I mean, they used to give out Christmas gifts. Now, you can't, now you're demon possessed if you, if you celebrate Christmas. They used to give out Christmas gifts to each other. Mm. Okay, mm. so there's a lot of changes that they've made. But more importantly, the Watchtower believes that Jesus returned invisibly in 1914, and he has been running the Watchtower organization ever since. Well, if Jesus has been running the Watchtower organization ever since, he shouldn't be missing prophecies. Right, right. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, sure. You, he either is or he isn't, and you're either lying about it or you're not. Right? right. So there's no real way around it. And it's just, in, in 1881, they were saying, if we were following a man, undoubtedly, it would be different with us. Undoubtedly, one human idea would contradict another, and that which was light one, two, or six years ago would be regarded as darkness now. But with God, there is no variableness. There's no shadow of turning. And so it is with the truth. Any knowledge or light coming from God must be like its author. And that's, they're absolutely right, which is precisely why we know that they're false prophets and not being led by God. And what I always found fascinating once I saw this was it did remind me that, you know, a lot of times in looking at cults, we see different things where it's almost as if God is reaching down to us, grabbing us by the collar and pointing and saying, this is what I meant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because when we look, now think of the idea of tacking back and forth, left and right, trying to get to yeah. where you want to go. Ephesians 4.14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every mm-hmm. wind of teaching mm-hmm. and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. James 1.6 says, but when he asks, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So God uses the very same language that they use to describe themselves as the language of somebody who does not have God, Mm, right? And I think it's very obvious that they don't have God. Yeah, yeah, wow. So when it comes to, and I know only because I know if, if no one else knows anything about Jehovah's Witness, they, they know that they don't celebrate birthdays and Christmas because, you know, sometimes kids will go to school with another kid that Jehovah's Witness and they're like, you know, it's your birthday. So what, you know, or, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's Christmas time and they don't get any gifts. So why is it that they believe that you're demon possessed that, you know, if you celebrate Christmas or birthdays, is it just the worldliness? You know, they're trying to separate themselves from quote worldliness. Ultimately. Yes. Yeah. Ultimately that's precisely it, Kevin. It's a, it's an idea that we want to be different. We want to try try to find some way to differentiate ourselves. And this is what we've chosen. It's really nothing more than that. It's a way that they can kind of turn around and demonize, you know, Christianity. They'll talk about, they'll talk about what well, we don't know when Jesus was born. It wasn't December 25th. That was actually a pagan celebration on December 25th and all this other stuff. And what they fail to understand is the history kind of behind Let's, let's talk about Christmas. The history behind Christmas being celebrated on December 25th was that the church realized that there was a big pagan celebration happening on that day. And their goal was to say, okay, how do we get rid of this? I mean, this, everybody's doing this. Everybody's practicing it. Even good, quote unquote, good people are practicing it, right? So, and everybody likes doing it. So how do we discourage it? And they decided, okay, well, let's celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. on December 25th. 
Okay, so we'll, we'll celebrate on the same day with the hopes that people will forget the holiday that they were celebrating and just celebrate the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it worked. <laughs> I never, in fact, I make it a policy just out of respect for the process. I never mentioned, people ask me, oh, what was it? I know what it was that they were celebrating. I don't mention it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the plan worked. Right. right. We all celebrate Christmas now around the world. Yeah. The plan worked. And Jesus is not so, yeah, I can't imagine God is at all, if the actual date of Jesus' birthday, his, his actual date of birth was important, it then, I, I think God would let us know when it was. Right. I don't think he's upset that we're celebrating the greatest gift he's ever given us. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't yeah. see that at all in God's nature. And the plan worked. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. But it's really, to answer your question, it's just a way to be different. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. What if, and just speaking to someone who has a family member or a friend, or they know someone at work that's a Jehovah's Witness, what's, what is the best way to kind of start that conversation? You know, without being condescending or, you know, mean-spirited or, or, or coming off that way. I mean, not that we would want to be that way at all, but, you know, just coming off in a, in a condescending way. How would, how would we start that conversation with someone? Oh, that's a great, great, great question. The first thing that everybody really needs to know, is, and this is really important, is this evangelism is not street evangelism that you might talk to somebody for 10 minutes and they profess Christ, right? Yeah, I mean, you've seen those videos on YouTube and that. Mm-hmm. This is not what we're talking about. This is a process. These are people that Satan has a hold of, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's, it's, going to take, it's going to take some work. So the first thing I would encourage everybody is if you have a friend or family member, my goodness, love them, right? Don't alienate them. Don't you look at them sideways, love who they are, understand that that's God's lost child, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one he's leaving the 99 for. And, and so he's asking you to be his hands mm-hmm. and reaching for that, that one. And so take care when you do that. It's really important. We don't mm-hmm. want to bash him over the head with truth. Now, I have a book called The Watchtower Illusion, in which I devote about a third of the book to witnessing techniques. Right. So there's there's no direct answer. There's no easy answer to the question. And and in that third of the book, it reads like a script. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's here's what you say, here's what they're gonna say, here's how you respond, here's what they're gonna say to your response. And it's funny, people who buy the book almost all I shouldn't say almost always, that's not true. At least 50% of the time, they come back and they'll email me or they'll call and they say, Oh my gosh, they said I ran copies of what you had, because I tell them you can't have the book, right? Run copies. You have my permission to run copies of that and have it so you can read it someplace in a binder or something. And they said, I was reading my parts and they, it was like they had the other half of the script and they were reading theirs. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it comes from a lot of research. Not only I did, but others have done because they're just programmed to respond a certain way. Mm. And, but we have to understand that we have to treat them gently. Yes. Right. And, and we talk, we talk about different ways to, we talk in the book about different ways to do that, different topics that, that you can talk about them with. There are different ways that, you know, you do have to, you do have to go after the Watchtower organization very early on, right? Mm-hmm. You start going into doctrine and things like that. They're pre-programmed to think whatever you say is wrong. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what they read in the Bible, right? And it, it makes no difference to them what they actually see. Okay, what matters to them is what the Watchtower says. Mm-hmm. So getting into an argument about the Trinity, getting into the ar- an argument about the personality of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to gain a lot. So you do have to spend time in learning about the Watchtower. Now, the book does that. I provide copies of, of Watchtower publications that you can see. I, I don't just give you and say, okay, and in 1914, the Watchtower, it was written this. Okay, I give you an actual photocopy of the page so you have it. And so that you can copy it and you can show them. In fact, that's part of the plan is every time that you're going to talk to somebody, 
we're going to give you instructions on, okay, run these copies so you have them mm-hmm. handy so that they can see that this is not something that's pulled out of context. Here it is, mm-hmm. right? Here's, here's where it says, you know, Charles Taze Russell actually said, made a comparison in the Bible that Jesus could not possibly be Michael the archangel. Okay. He said that in 1881. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, and I honestly, I've had, I've had a Jehovah's Witness read it and look right at him and said, so is Jesus Michael the archangel? And they said, yes. And I said, well, is Charles Taze Russell wrong? No. I didn't, my goodness. And you're just sitting there going, well, where do I go from here? <laughs> right. right. I mean, right. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. You know, you've got, to, you've got to get them thinking and don't expect an aha moment. You may get it, right? You may get it and where they start scratching their head and say, you know what? That's really difficult. But I suggest you ask them about their religious beliefs and say, if I ask you honest questions about the Watchtower, would you give me honest answers? Mm-hmm. If I ask you honest questions about what you believe, would you give me honest answers? Mm-hmm. And they'll almost always say yes. Mm. And that's how you start the conversation. Yeah, that's excellent. And so with somebody, you know, coming to your door, asking those questions, you have somebody at your your work that's asking you questions. You would say that, you know, them understanding the Bible, would you say that understanding salvation, you know, our plan, obviously, of salvation who Jesus actually is, you know, kind of the fundamentals, because I feel like with every cult or every other religion, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus is, right? Like they just, it's, you know, so would you say, do you feel that just understanding the fundamentals of our faith, you know, just the, you know, Jesus is Lord, the Trinity, all of the fundamentals, do you think that is something that would help a person understand how to refute certain things? Yes. Like, is that the best things? Yeah, I, I would tell you that I think that that is the most important thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And not to overplug the book, but no, no. the first, a, a big portion of the book is first devoted to helping people understand why they believe what they believe. I knew what I believed when I talked to the Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, no clue why I believed it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't find, well, if you'd asked me then, where does it say Jesus is God? I would have looked at you blankly. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I read the Bible three or four times through. I just read it, right? I, I wasn't studying it. I really wasn't trying to understand the theology in it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's really important for people to really take time to understand the core of Christian beliefs. And of course, the, here's what, you, what I recommend more than anything. Understand how the doctrine of the Trinity is developed. Okay? Jehovah's Witnesses will sit there and tell you, well, Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, theocracy is not in the Bible either, but you believe in the theocracy. So that we're not, it doesn't matter that the word Trinity is not found in your Bible. The idea, the principles of the Trinity are found in the Bible. Jesus is called God. We already know the Father is called God. And the Holy Spirit's called God. Okay. In the book, we point to 12 places where Jesus is compared directly with God of the Old Testament. Okay. So 12 to 15 places where we point out where Jesus is called the Savior, the Light, the Judge of the World, the Creator, the First and the Last, King, Lord of Lords. Those are all references in the Old Testament to the God of the Bible in the New Testament, Jesus has those titles. Okay, so we show that. Mm-hmm. We do that with the Holy Spirit as well, right? And we can see that the Holy Spirit is God Himself. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that you understand you're able to go into the Bible and say, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. And this is this is where this is developed. And this is where I see the Holy Spirit's God and Jesus is God. Salvation by grace. We can see that throughout the scriptures as well. It's important, really important to know that as well, right? Because it's important for us to understand when they say things like, well, faith without works is dead, right? So it, that's their favorite one, right? And John 6, 28, the question you would ask Jehovah's Witness then is, I agree faith without works is dead, okay? But what's being talked about is exercising faith. And in John 6, 28, 
in 29, Jesus was asked by somebody, what must I do to do the works God requires? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jesus was asked that question. Faith without works, what is that work? Okay, what is that work that God requires? And Jesus answered, believe in the one who he sent. Okay, so that's the work God requires. So when somebody says faith without works is, is dead, you ask the next question. All right, well, what's that work? And Jesus has answered that question. It's important to understand that. And it's important to show that. It's important to be able to, for instance, in that case, to point to the criminal on the cross who was saved, right? Mm-hmm. He did no works. The only work right. he did was the work Jesus said God required, was to yeah. believe in the one who he sent. Mm-hmm. And so it's important, really important for us to know, just for our own sake, right? Mm-hmm. Just for us to feel comfortable going into spiritual warfare, that you believe the truth. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's, what's, that's what's really important. So the long answer to your question is absolutely get someplace where you can understand the essentials of the Christian faith mm-hmm. and get those under your belt, so to speak, and then start to learn how to, to share that with other people. And more importantly, how to defend it. Mm-hmm. Right, Jude 3, yeah. we have to contend for the faith. Yeah. We, we don't get a choice. We yeah. have to. So that's what's important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I know you guys uh, and the listening audience, we just, I mean, we just touched the surface. Uh, this is not <laughs> by no means a the complete that what Scott has. Scott has so much in his book. And I just encourage you guys to get Scott Peterson's book. It's called The Watchtower Illusion. And if you contact, so the way you want to contact Scott and his ministry is through Facebook. It's Defending Your Doorsteps Ministry, and it's a Facebook group. I encourage you to join that group, reach out to the moderators in that group, and you know, just tell them that you want to purchase a book. And it's just something that I believe that every person should have. Also, Scott is going to just, he's going to throw in for free. If you, if you say that you're a listener to this podcast, the Thinking Out Loud podcast, he has an eight by five card that says, you know, where does it say that in the Bible? And so Scott, can you just talk a little bit about that, uh, about what that is? What it is, is I have it in my own Bible, actually. Actually, I'm looking at one right now. And so it's a card specifically designed for people to contend in the Jude 3 fashion with Jehovah's Witnesses using their scriptures. So it shows you the scriptures that clearly say there's only one God. It shows you the scriptures that then it says it gives you a topic, Jesus is God. It shows you nine scriptures in that, how Jesus shares the titles of God. It shows you all the scriptures and the cross-reference, so you can look at that yourself. It shows you the Holy Spirit having a personality. It's not merely the force from Star Wars, right? Right. The Holy Spirit has a, it has a personality and acts with a personality. It shows you six verses that talk about that. It shows you verses that talk about the Holy Spirit being God. Okay, it shows you cross-references so you can see that. And then it shows you the verses that talk about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and specifically not by your works. And it's a laminated card on one side. It's an adhesive backed on the other. And we sell these for, I think last time we were selling them for seven, eight bucks. We'll throw it in if you want it. If you contact us through the Facebook group, say you want to buy a book, I'll throw that in. And what I do with it, it's in the inside cover of all of our Bibles at home. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so all we have to do is reach for a Bible and we know it's there. And because the real tough part is that if you pull out my book in front of a Jehovah's Witness, they're going to get up, literally get up and walk away. They're going to walk out of the room because they've been trained that any material, any book that is critical of the Watchtower Bible and Track Society is demonic. And so they're not going to have that discussion with you. Mm-hmm. But this slides neatly into the cover of your Bible. It sticks there. It's a great resource and it's something I really recommend. I love that people get it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so 
I encourage you guys to, like I say, go on Facebook. It's Defending Your Doorstep Ministries Facebook group, and just let them know that you want to get a book. And that way, Scott will also throw in one of these 8 by 5 cards that will really help you in witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and you know, we're going to have Scott back next week, actually, and he is going to talk about Mormons. And we're going to talk a little bit about what do Mormons believe? How do we witness to them? All of that. And so here's what you want to do. You want to come back next week. And Kyle, I know we've got our own social media and things that we would like to have people follow. So can you just tell them where to find us? Yeah, you can find us Facebook and Instagram. We have our Facebook page, Thinking Out Loud Podcast. Also, Thinking Out Loud Podcast fans. And then on Instagram, Thinking underscore Out Loud, both of those pages have our logo on them and you will see advertisements for our shows get on those pages comment comment on things like this show join the conversation with us and we would love to chat yeah absolutely and so don't forget to subscribe follow share these episodes with friends and family and don't be a thinking out loud secret agent we want you to blow your cover and let people know that you listen to the thinking out loud podcast and we'll be just so grateful And we thank you all for listening this week. Have a wonderful rest of your week. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.